so good, kind of neat. Um, we, were, we were standing in the back, and like one thing that you can always count on with Francis is people sway. Like there was just a nice sea of people swaying, and I remember uh, back, this is way back, so a lot of people weren't even around then, but at, at the time we didn't have a worship leader, and so we were bringing in a different person every single week, and it was just exhausting. And, and Francis came in one week, just, uh, just a friend of a friend said, hey, check out Francis Reed. And this was back in 2015 when we were still meeting in a coffee shop and, you know, a small gaggle of people. Um, and she started warming up, and I looked over at J.D., who was the lead pastor at the time, and I'm like, man, we got to figure out how to make this happen. And so it was a, a great privilege for Francis to be our worship leader for a while. And so she, she told us, as I was going to go, she said, you know, you guys were really brave. I was like 18 when you hired me. And I'm like, well, you know, we were brave, but we were desperate. And so, um, so thank you, and no, but great. Francis and, and Will, and um, you guys, it's great to see you all this morning. Glad you're here. And it's good to be back. Uh, we are uh, back in our series. We kicked it off a couple of weeks ago virtually, and last week, Zach was awesome. Uh, just to kind of jump in last minute, I called him at about 11 a.m. on Saturday morning, and I was like, hey, Zach, I'm not going to, it's not going to happen tomorrow. And, um, and so he's like, no, no problem, man. So he jumped in short notice. And ran with the ball, and super grateful for that. Um, and, uh, and he's not feeling well this morning, so he had to take off. So if you would, make sure you, you say a prayer for him. He came in anyway to serve this morning, but not feeling great. So, um, But we're back in this, this influencer series that we kicked off a few weeks ago. And today, like I'm going to go ahead and warn you, I'm going to pull a bait and switch a little bit. You're going to think I'm going one way, and then I'm going to zag, and we're going to go another. Um, and so the whole point of the series is we're looking through Scripture uh, back and, and all the way to the end of, of just people in Scripture who had solid influence. And I'll go ahead and tell you, like, some of those really good influence, but there was also bad influence that we saw in Scripture. And we're going to do our best to learn a few things from everybody that we look at. Uh, some of it's going to be introspective about how we influence, but also today we're going to look at, like, what does it mean when we allow people to influence us? And we're going to call that, like, sway. What does it mean when we allow people to have sway in our lives? The first week we kind of kicked it off of saying that you know, if we look at life as, as a path or a journey, you know, we're not going to get super philosophical about it, but it is. It, it's kind of like a path. Hopefully that path, if we have been bought by the blood of Jesus, united to God as children, the Holy Spirit in us, that path is leading towards God. And it's leading towards an eternity that we are sealed with Him, singing to Him, pursuing Him at all points, at all times. But in that life, there's going to be these forks that pop up in the road. And we have an option to go left, go right, go straight, whatever. And 99.99999% of the time, the, the path that we take is going to be influenced by someone else. Someone that's either spoken in our past or someone that's beside us in this journey. Maybe someone who's behind us in this journey, and they're either pushing us forward or pushing us to the side. And so there's going to be influences. Today we're going to start in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at when Moses, this guy who we've talked about a lot and this guy who by all means was an amazing influencer, uh, when he left and fled uh, Egypt. And so at this point in, in chapter 2 of Exodus, we have this guy named Moses. What we know about him is he was born at a time in which all the children, the, young, the firstborn kids of Israel, the males, should have been killed. Uh, but God saved him uh, providentially, and he was raised in Pharaoh's court. Pretty amazing. He grew up to about the age of 25 uh, in the royal court, learned everything from, you know, how to speak, how to write, how to behave royally, how to fight, how to do all of things. He grew up with the best possible instruction as a Jew in Pharaoh's court, and nobody really knew. 
And so then we find him at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, and he goes out one day and he sees his fellow Jews who he loves because he's their people. Uh, he sees them being abused and he comes to one of their aid uh, and he kills an Egyptian and he buries him in the sand thinking that no one saw. And then he goes out the next day and, and he sees two Jews fighting and he's like, how is this? How can this happen? I defended you yesterday, but he wasn't telling anybody and he goes to break up the fight between two Jews, his people. And one of them says, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me too like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And he's like, oh boy, this is not the way it was supposed to happen. So what did he do? He took off. And we find him in Exodus chapter 2 verse 15. Um, and it says, when Pharaoh heard of it, uh, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Verse 16, it says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. It's becoming a pattern. And watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, who's also known as Jethro, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And so we have this Moses guy, this guy who was going to be called the deliverer, the guy who would ultimately leave, uh, lead the Israelites out of captivity. Um, they, he would do some miraculous things. He would hear from God in a burning bush when he's taking care of the flock. But he dwelled in this place of Midian for about 40 years. He was probably 25 at the time in which he fled Egypt. He landed in Midian. He met some ladies there at the well. He saved them because that was his way. And then he met this dad. We see him called Rule here, but later we're going to see that his name is Jethro. And he said, thank you for doing this. Here's my daughter. Her name starts with a Z. It ends with a Porah. I want you to marry her. And so he does. They get married. He lives there for about 40 years, living in the household of this guy named Jethro. One day he's out taking care of the flock, and there's a bush that is on fire but it's not being consumed. And it's God. And he's like, hey, hey, Moses. He's like, Hennei, here I am. I'm unfurled before you. What can I do for you? And from then on, we see this amazing story unfold of this guy who did not find much great confidence in eloquence, didn't find much great confidence in anything that he had other than this. He had been called out by God, equipped by God to do a task that should not, he should not be fit for. And he did. So he led them out of Egyptian captivity, parted the Red Sea, did some miraculous signs and wonders to get there, uh, witnessed all of the plagues, and eventually God said, you're going to lead my people out, uh, you're going to do it in miraculous fashion, I'm going to make sure that you can. And so all of that occurs, and then we find him just a little bit later in chapter 18 uh, of the same book, Exodus chapter 18. And so they had led him out, they had led the Egyptians out of, out of the place, uh, we had already seen the Red Sea part. We had seen manna from heaven. We had seen water from the rock. We had seen all this crazy stuff. Verse 18, chapter 1, we're going to read through uh, just the first few verses, and then we're going to chat about where we find them. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, later earlier called Rule, uh, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. 
And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, and coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, most likely... Um, a priest of pagan gods. We don't know for sure, but it's very likely. Uh, Midian being a people that actually came out of Abraham generations before. Uh, they were settled in this place, and they most likely had multiple gods. And this Jethro guy, this father-in-law who gave his daughter to Moses to be married, uh, he had done so much up until this point, but it hadn't yet been for God. And so he had been taking care of Moses' wife, Moses' kids, and after they had gotten safely out of Egypt, he came to meet them. And it says that Moses found out, and he comes down, he kneels down at his feet, he kisses his feet, he says, come into the tent, i got to tell you everything that's happened. And at the end of that, it says that this guy, Jethro, priest of Midian, rejoices. Now, here's the bait and switch. It would be easy to think that the influencer that we're going to look at is Moses, but it's not. It's going to be Jethro. And it's going to be an unlikely guy because most of the time, if you're in church, you want to, you want to look after someone that's an influencer that, that calls on the one true God that has been united with God uh, amazingly and miraculously and faithfully, all those things. But I've got to tell you that most likely up until this point, that was not Jethro, very likely. Now, if you go back and you read some other, some other historical artifacts, they, uh, they say, well, it's possible that they worship the one true God. It's possible that they worship Yahweh. It's possible, but at the same time, it's, it's a pretty well-known fact that they also worshiped other gods, multiple gods. They were uh, pantheistic, a lot of them. And so uh, this is what we know right now. Moses dwelled with Jethro for 40-some-odd years, saw his life saw uh, the way that he dealt with his daughter, saw the way that he dealt with his family, probably saw the way that he conducted himself as a priest to the people, a servant to the people. And so when he comes, Moses goes out, he greets him, kisses his feet, says, come in, I need to tell you everything I've seen, everything that has happened. And then it says they just both rejoice. This is what happens in the next section, chapter, verse 10 of the same chapter. It says, Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. And out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, before God. So in this moment, like, it's really hard to say what exactly happened here, but this is what we do know for sure. In this moment, this Jethro guy, who had been serving all the other gods, listening to Moses, he said, oh man, right here, right now, I can tell you, all other lowercase g gods fall pale in comparison to this one true God. Every other one. They fall pale in comparison. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship in the way that this day, this time sees fit. And it says that he makes sacrifices, offers a burnt offering, does all of this stuff, and it says he blesses the name of the Lord. And so let's continue. It says the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, he says, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to the father-in-law, to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I will make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law says to him, 
what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God, bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide among themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country." Now, we could do two things with this particular passage, and and we'll try to do both, but we're going to do one on a small scale. First of all, we look at Jethro. We look, he's a man of wisdom. He's a man now of God, but he comes to Moses, and he says, Moses, this thing that you do, it's not good. And it wasn't not good because of what he was doing, but it was the how that he was doing it. He said, the way that you're doing it right now, you're going to kill yourself. You and those people that are with you, those few, they're they're going to kill yourself. And so what we could do is we could take this and we could say, look, we're going to look at this advice that Jethro gave us and we're going to try to universally apply it to all of us. Well, here's the issue. We can't universally apply it to all of us because we're not all universally in this place of authority and position like this. But what we will say, the advice was good. The advice was sound. The advice was very, very good as a matter of fact. And so if you are a person in leadership, if you're a person in authority, if, if you're a pastor or called into the ministry, this is incredibly applicable. If you're in a workplace and you have people working under you, hey, here's the message. You can't do it by yourself. If you try, you will die. Okay? You need to equip people around you so that they can do it with you. That way it's going to be better for all people. Okay? Great sound advice. Really, really good advice. But I think, moreover, the thing that we need to do with this passage is we need to ask this question. Why did Moses trust Jethro? Why did Moses trust Jethro? Because this is going to be universal for all of us. Why did Moses trust Jethro? Well, here's the thing. There are going to be a ton of people that want to influence your life. But here's the truth. Not all people should have influence in your life. A ton of people will want influence, but not all people should have influence. Some people do not have that right. They should not have that privilege. We cannot listen to every voice. Number one, we don't have all the time to do it. Number two, some voices don't want what's best for us. They want what's worst for us. So what do we take here? What do we look at with Moses and say, Why did he listen to Jethro, and what does it teach me about the people that need to have influence in my life? Well, the first thing, I don't think it was something about Jethro. I think it was something that we need to look at about Moses that we need to adopt, and and it's just one single word, and it's humility. Humility. 
Because if you think about it, like if we look at Moses, I'm talking this is Moses. This is the guy that in the New Testament, when Jesus came on the scene, people were like, look, hey, Jesus, I've seen you do some incredible stuff, right? I've seen you raise the dead. I've seen you take the man who had a withered hand, stretch it out. I've seen you do all these things, but are you telling me you're better than Moses? I mean, this is the people, this is the guy that people confused Jesus with or compared him to, like high up Moses, This is the guy who was just a man from obscurity, raised in Pharaoh's court, who should have been dead, who was taught everything he possibly needed to know to lead a people, and he had done so much. He had watched so much, seen so much, been used to do so much. If there was anyone that had a right not to be humble, it was Moses. I mean, when someone came to Moses with advice, like, to be honest, he could have said, hey, I'm Moses. People are going to be singing songs about me. Go down, Moses. You know, they're going to be singing songs about me for a long time, and you're trying to give me advice. He had every right almost just to say, hey, 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 starts with an M, ends with O's. That's who I am. You're trying to give me advice. Just hold up. But he didn't. Because the thing that we need to adopt well before we ever meet an influencer, well before we ever give someone who is qualified and equipped to speak into our life, we need to adopt the position of someone who is teachable, instructable, guidable. We need to be humble. And we also need to understand this, that in God's plan, there are no accidents. God is going to place equipped men, equipped women in our lives to guide us, direct us, shape us, and make us look more like Jesus. But if we ever have any hope of learning from them, being shepherded by them, and being guided by them, we need to be humble so that we may hear them. So that when God pulls someone else out of obscurity and places them in your path to make sure that you do not veer left, do not veer right, so that they're pushing you forward, you're able to say, thank you. We have to be humble. No matter what's come before, no matter what we believe is coming after, no matter if people are going to sing songs about you for generations, if we cannot listen, we cannot learn. And if we cannot learn, I'll be honest, we are no good. Because again, if we're called to be disciples, like if we want to take it all the way forward to Jesus saying, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That's what disciples are defined by. Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, someone who's on mission with Jesus. At the very nature of that, disciples must be learners. They must be someone who can be guided, who can be shaped, who can be equipped by the community that is around us that God is equipped to do so. It may be a business partner, it may be a father, it may be a father-in-law, it may be a pastor, it may be a small group leader, it may be a spouse, it may be any of these things, but unless we're humble enough to learn, what God's called them to do is going to be ineffective and insignificant in our life. Moses, for some reason, in spite of everything that he had done, he realized, I still need to listen. I get to speak on a daily basis, but I need to listen. The first is humility, and that's on our part. Here's the thing, though, that between Moses and Jethro existed that I believe that needs to be there 90% of the time. And I'm not trying to be alliterative this morning, but it's, it's history. There was history there. I think very often the people that God's going to use to sway us most in our life are the people that we have great history with. Moses lived with this guy for 40 years. 40 years, met him when he was 25, received his daughter as a wife, had children, had all of those things, worked for him, was like a son and an employee for 40 years. And so he got to see how he conducted himself as a dad, probably as a husband, 
as, as a boss um, and as a priest, as a servant. Even if he was a servant of pagan gods, he was still serving the people, okay? Maybe it didn't translate perfectly, but it was still there. Forty years, they had history. Like, I look at the people in my life that have had the most impact. Sometimes it's a smack to the back of the head. Sometimes it's a gentle push. Uh, sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's a text message that I get on Sunday mornings, which I love from men that I trust. I trust them because there's history. Like one of my favorite like, mentors in my life, his name's Ken. I trust him. I love him because I've seen his life. I've seen the way he loves his wife. I've seen the way he's grown his kids. I've seen the way he shepherded churches, and I trust it. So when he speaks to me, I listen because I've had time to watch. He's not someone that's come off the street and said, hey, let me tell you how things are done. He's been someone that's shown me. When my father-in-law speaks, I trust him because I've watched him. I've seen the way he loves his wife. I've seen the way he loves his kids. I've seen the way he conducts himself. So when he speaks, I listen. My dad, 41 years. 41 years, that's a long time. When my dad speaks, be it soft, be it quiet, sometimes it takes a while. I love you. I hear him because I know him. I trust him. We have history. Who in your life has God equipped to speak to you and you can see it in the evidence of their life because you've walked with them, you've walked beside them, you've walked under them, you've seen them? Who is it? Because it's very likely that God will use those people to speak to you. Do they know everything? No. But do they know something? And can you trust it? Now, not all history is good, right? Not all history is good. If Moses had lived under this guy, and this guy had been a terrible dad, and a terrible husband, and, and a terrible priest, and a terrible boss, if, if he would have come up and tried to give Moses advice, Moses would have been like, hey, it's time to go. And probably I wouldn't have kissed your feet a day before if you had been that guy. But he did. Showed that there was good history there. There was something valuable there. There was something worthwhile there. Who is that in your life? Who is that in your life that you have watched, that you have learned from, that you have listened to, that you've looked at their life and said, maybe I don't want all of your life, but that part I trust? Who is that? In James, I, I love this idea of, of this idea of wisdom and what it looks like and how, it, how we see it and process it. In James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his or her good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Because of the history that Moses had with Jethro, not only could he trust what he had seen and what he had witnessed and the life that he had been a part of, but he could also look at the words and hear the words coming out of Moses' mouth and know that they were trustworthy, know that they were sincere, know that they weren't motivated by jealousy or anything else. Because he saw his life, he knew his life, and he trusted the source. Not all history is good, but the history that we look at and say, man, 
I trust that when their words come out, we can trust their motivation, uh, we can trust the intent, we can trust the heart that they come from because we know them. Now, every now and then, there will be this, this, this supernatural exchange that will occur that God will place someone in your life that you may have only known for a week, two days, and they automatically, just by, man, by supernatural intervention, they have the ability to influence you. And those are amazing, those are rare, but at the same time, even though there might not be 40 years of history, I still think we evaluate them to a degree and we look at their life. And we do kind of ask the question, are you qualified to give me advi the advice that you're giving me right now? I'm not asking that you have it all figured out, but if you're talking to me about being a good husband right now, maybe you're teaching me out of mistakes or maybe you're teaching me because you're doing it right, but I want to know, are you qualified to tell me? If it's somebody that's never been married, good chance marital advice you hear it, but it might not be the best source, you know? If somebody's telling you to be a dad and they have 12 cats and no kids, or they're telling you how to be a mom, and they, now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with cats, because, you know, we all know that you know, cats are born, and when they die, they go back to hell where they came from. But, I mean, <laughs> but maybe they have 12 cats and, instead, of, instead of kids, and they're telling, I'm sorry, that was terrible. Uh, they're telling you how to be a good dad. Maybe we don't trust them on how to parent our children. Man, but do we trust the source? Here's the other thing. I think this is probably the linchpin. Jethro's advice, it did not contradict God's plan for Moses' life. This is huge. I mean, this goes on a plate by itself. Jethro's advice did not contradict Moses' pl God's plan for Moses' life. Now, imagine, like, circumstances have been different. He had checked all the boxes already, okay? Moses was humble. They had history all of those things. He had watched his life. It had been good. He trusted him. He kissed his feet, all of that stuff. And then if Jethro would have come up to Moses and he would have said, Moses, this thing you do, it's not good, period. What you need to do, it's going to kill you, so you just need to shut up. Don't tell anybody anything. Don't speak truth. I need you to go in your tent because you don't want to die. I need you to go in your tent, and I just need you to stay there. The problem with that advice is it would have gone directly against everything that God had already pointed Moses to, everything that he had already equipped Moses to, everything that he had already told Moses to do. It would have been in direct contradiction to all of that. And no matter all the boxes that had already been checked, right there would have been a big X and Moses would have been like, you need to go. Because at no point, at no time, should an influencer ever contradict the plans that God has for me, that God has for you. And if they do their voice is cut off. And you say, well, that's harsh. Sometimes we don't get to choose the people that try to influence us, but we do get to choose whether or not we give them access. And you say, well, that's terrible. We can learn from anybody. No, we can learn from anybody, but we still need to be selective. And I, I think for believers, you may think I'm crazy. I think at certain stages in your journey of following Jesus, that even means that you're super careful whose, whose books you read, Okay? whose podcast you listen to, and I'm not trying to make you legalistic, but I think that we need to be objective and understand, like, if hey, I am an immature Christian right now, and I need to be getting good spiritual milk, there are some people that that's not what they're peddling, and I don't need to listen to it. I don't need that. I need to find another cow. I'm taking the metaphor probably too far. But then there are people that come into our life, and the advice they try to give us Man, it is in blatant contradiction to the plans that God has for me. And in that case, 
man, they can be in my life, but I need to give them very little access to what I listen to and what advice I take from them. And that's part of me actually being mature enough to decipher good advice, bad advice, good influence, bad influence. Because seriously, say for instance, just hypothetically, God's called you to pursue a life of holiness. By the way, it's not, it's not a hypothetical. It's quite literal. God has called us. He said, you be holy because I am holy. You be separate because I am separate. Let me sanctify you, set you apart. Someone comes and gives you advice that sounds a lot like they're telling you that sin is okay. Guess what? Their advice is no good. We choose not to take that. Someone maybe comes to you and says, uh, maybe something like this that may sound really good. Hey, you know what? You're struggling financially right now, so what I think that God would want you to do is save all your money and not give any back to him. I think that's okay right now. I think God would be okay with you doing that. You know, that sounds good, and it sounds like a very loving thing, but you know what? The very thing that God is, that one way that God calls us to, to show our love for him is through obedience, and God says, you know what? Everything that you have is mine, so I'm just asking you to give some of that back to me. And trust me with that, it's an act of faith. No matter how good the advice sounds, no matter how much it tickles my ear, if it is in blatant contradiction to what God has already called me to do through his word and through dynamic and equivalent revelation, man, it is no good. And you say, well, man, that requires me to do homework on the people I listen to. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because eventually, everything that comes in if we keep letting it get in there, it's going to take root, and then it's going to come out. Jesus speaking to a bunch of very Jewish people, he's like, don't you understand? It's not what you eat that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your mouth. You know why? Because that came from your heart. How did it get there? We heard it. We listened to it. We let it just stay and simmer. We have to be selective. We have to be selective. So now, the people that have history in your life, so let's say, for instance, let's, let's take it process by process. You're humble. You're willing to be taught. Great. A plus for you. Don't go bragging about it because you'll lose your humility. You're humble. You have people in your life that have history. You've watched their life. You trust their life. You, you have all of that. Now, of those people that have checked all those boxes, is the influence that they are displaying to you is it pushing you towards God, or is it pushing you a degree away, a degree away, a degree away? Maybe it's pushing you just in direct opposition of God. And now I ask, who are the voices in my life that I need to really, really listen to? And it doesn't mean that we cut off relationship with those people. I think that would be unbiblical too. But it does mean the level of access that we give them should diminish. If they're giving us advice that is just... Maybe it's just tricky enough to where it's just one degree at a time away from God. Maybe it's blatant, but sometimes it's just that, that one degree. Who are those voices now that we listen to? Do you, have those, do you have them in your life? Do you have those kind of influences in your life that you, you've, you've chosen humility? They have history with you, and you can trust the words that they're giving you to grow you closer to God. Do you have those? Here's the question. I mean, here's the answer. If you don't, you need to. Like, we need, we need those voices in our life. We need mature and learned people in our life. And so for some of you, you're like, man, I only know people that are 10 years younger than me. Well, you need to hang out somewhere else. <laughs> 
maybe find some Will Reeds in your life. Like that guy sitting back there, I got to go fishing with him yesterday. You know one reason I love fishing with Will Reed? Because I can know for sure that when I do, I'm not going to hear things that are going to push me a degree away from Jesus. I trust you, Will. I appreciate that. Neil Culler, younger than me, but I trust his words. I know his life. I trust his life. And when he speaks, I listen. Sometimes YouTube videos, I delete those. I'm kidding. Not really. He has YouTube rabbit trails that are a mile long. But I trust his life. I'm grateful for his voice in my life. Do you have those? Because I'll tell you, you need them. You need them. If you don't have those, here's your first, here's your first step. Simple. God, I need people that influence me well. It's, it's allergies, of course, man. Thank you. God, I need people that influence me well. Would you provide those for me? And then maybe you might even have to go and seek them. You might actually have to go to people that you trust, and, and you don't have a great relationship with them, but you, you see their life, and you, man, you look at it, and you're like, wow, uh, it may not be perfect, but it's pretty good. Would you like to, uh, would you like to have steak with me one night? I don't know. Whatever, most, whatever the most awkward thing is you can ask. Go ahead and just do that. Go ahead and throw that out there and just break the ice that way. Maybe you need to seek those relationships of people that are older and godlier and have been doing this for a while. And you need to say, look, I need your influence in my life. Maybe don't use those words, those words, because that could be really weird. But just say, hey, you know what? Whatever. Do that. And, and here's the other thing. If you have those voices already in your life, I think one great thing that you could do is just maybe shoot them a text today and say, hey, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being like that voice that I trust. Thank you for being that influence that I trust, that I need. Thank you for that. Because we all need them. We all need them. Maybe you get to be that for somebody. We'll cover that in the coming weeks. I don't want to let that cat out of the bag. But just thinking now, maybe, maybe you already are and you don't know it. Um, but either way, we got to have them. God didn't call us to be individual, isolated believers trying to muddle for him and find him in the dark. He called us to be a family on mission together, in pursuit together, in which older men take in younger men and older women take on younger women, shepherd them, disciple them, push them towards Jesus, influence them in a major way. That's God's plan. Like, that's not an accident. That's not a byproduct. That's the way that he intended for it to happen. We call it discipleship, but God just calls it life. Seek it, pray for it, go after it. It's vital. It's vital. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us enough not to leave us alone. We thank you, God, that sometimes you pester us with good influences. For that, we're grateful. God, we thank you for the example that we see of, of Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro, and the way in which Moses just listened. And he had every opportunity to not be humble, to not take advice, but instead he said, you know what, I believe that God's put you here for a reason, and I'm going to listen. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that example. God, for each of us that have those voices in our life, I pray that, we are, uh, that we're grateful towards you, but we also tell them thank you. And God, you continue just to use them in our life. God, for those of us who do not have those voices, I pray that we would seek them. I pray that we would seek them first with you, asking you to provide, and then God... Uh, faith without works is dead. We've asked you for that so we would actively go after it. Trust that you're going to provide it, but we would work to meet those people and find them. Thank you for what you do through your family. 
Thank you for what you do to grow a kingdom. And God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.